I want to welcome you to another episode of the Disruptive Voices of the Pacific. I am back in Fiji and sitting in my office at the Holiday Inn, <laughs> where I catch up with a lot of people. Uh, and today I have a really special guest, um, Fijian-born, now lives in Australia, but has been over here launching a really important um, report, which we're going to talk about today. But I'm going to say welcome to Dr. Latia, and I'm going to get you to say your last name because us white people can't get our our tongues around some Fijian names. Yeah, so my name is Litea Meo Sewambu. Wonderful. And you're with the University of Western Sydney, um, which is fantastic. But just been over here in Fiji, um, and on when was it Tuesday? You launched the uh, report. Um, for violence against children here in Fiji, and that's you've been one of the key researchers on that, and you've just done the team has just done an amazing job. But it's quite depressing. Um, four out of five children in Fiji are abused. Can you? I mean, I'm I'm flabbergasted that the nation isn't in uproar. Are we just going to wait till five out of five children? But um, just briefly tell us the different forms of abuse, because sometimes we just think it might be hitting or whatever, but there's different forms. Yes, so there's sexual abuse, there's child neglect, and then there's um, uh, the capital pun- the corporal punishment, um, and then the emotional abuse. Yeah, so often we, when we think of child abuse, we just think about... Um, the, the rape and all those kinds of things but there is also the emotional abuse which is highest in uh, Indo-Fijian children and child neglect where children are just left on their own uh, can also be malnutrition when kids are left to feed themselves or not have proper nutrition so that is also considered a form of abuse. Yeah. Hmm. So, are parents just leaving their children at home for days on end, or what did you find out? Yes, so we found that uh, because we've become this modern society, uh, there is an expectation for us to be productive, so we go to work, and then we have to pay the rent, uh, so, you know, there's the thing that parents do have to earn an income in order to go to work at the cost of uh, leaving their kids unattended or um, for some of the, a lot of the abuse also happens uh, during the after school hours uh, also because school finishes around three, uh, the parents don't come home till after five or six. Yeah, so, um, and you know, with the Suvanosori Corridor, that's where we found the most of the abuse because it's a highly dense uh, population. Uh, so with the traffic that you might see from, you know, Suva, Nosori every, every day, um, that also delays the, the time that they're able to get home to look after their children. So a lot of times the children have to fend for themselves or they're being left with relatives or the neighbour or grandparents to look after them who often sometimes cannot, don't have the energy to look after the kids, especially if they've wandered off somewhere, uh, they can't tell them, look, be home by eight. It's after eight and they're still out. They can't, they don't know where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Just describe to us what is emotional abuse. What does that look like again? So emotional abuse is uh, anything that uh, could be, it could be spoken. 
It could be uh, spoken words to a child. It could be um, depriving them of something, um, like, for example, food or their phone or something like that. Not as a con consequence of the punishment, but just doing it deliberately to cause harm to the child or cause that kind of hurt or fear in a child. Uh, so that, that would be emotional abuse. Yeah. And there's probably a lack of awareness and understanding of what that does, especially to a developing child, um, you know, what it does to their brain, to their development in a human being. Uh, we just think, you know, we're just saying a few words or in our anger, but um, this can be devastating on a child. Yes. Uh, some of the, the words that uh, when we read the case notes for this research, we found that, um, you know, the words that they speak to the child uh, that you are useless, uh, you won't amount to anything. Uh, all those uh, causes the child a lot of pain. And, you know, even though uh, the parents might be just saying it uh, in because they're angry that they didn't do their homework or they didn't clean up, uh, you know, uh, the house or what they were told to didn't do their chores, the, uh, the kind of psychological abuse that happens um, is far greater. It doesn't stop at that time when they're young, but they remember it for the rest of their life and it sort of impacts on them, you yeah. So I remember uh, as a child, they used to say, I have a big forehead. <laughs> so for years, I couldn't wear my hair back because I just had that consciousness that I have a big forehead. I might still have a big forehead, but I'm, I'm conscious of it. You know, it's always in the back of your mind that, okay, people told me that, so it must be true. So that's the same kind of uh, psychological or emotional abuse that's uh, stirred up within a child and stays with them for life. Yeah. Well, it obviously hasn't... Um done too much damage because you've got a hairstyle that shows your beautiful forehead so good on you for not allowing that to um, inhibit you so with the corporal punishment because um, you know we hear a lot spare the rod spoil the child you know where does it because I got spanked growing up um, and there is a place for that but where does it cross over from just yes good discipline to abuse yeah yeah, so that's that's a tricky thing. Eh? So as I was saying at the launch, that um, uh, that kind of punishment, even though we see it every day, and we've heard of horror stories about uh, kids getting beat up and uh, having swelts on their backs and things like that, um, whether it's reported or not, that's another story. So when it's reported, those are the cases that uh, that I was reflecting on. But we know just from living in our environments in Fiji that it happens much more than what is being reported. Again, because it's part, it's been normalized in our community that we feel that uh, it's okay. You know, you, you come late from uh, somewhere, you, you will get the beating, yeah? And um, the child is not gonna report that, yeah. But because of that child helpline that they've set up, a lot of those calls are coming in from that. Yeah, so, yeah, that's still a, a topic that uh, people often don't consider it abuse. Uh, but again, you know, it's a, it's a debate that happens around the world. What is enough uh, beating? What is, you know, do you just smack or do you get the belt or 
which one is more acceptable. Well, there's none, and, and nobody ever knows the story to that. But some countries say that you shouldn't beat at all. Uh, but, um, yeah, I guess it depends on the form of discipline that, uh, you know, some people believe in timeouts. But, yeah, it depends on the parents what they think is acceptable. I think so in the way. I mean, I was we were only ever given three smacks at three taps so because if it went in over you know out of anger where you just hit the kids 27 times that's when it's abuse but when the parents not angry and controlled emotions and they're just disciplining you there's a big difference there so how did you go about um how did you come up with four out of five Uh, how did you go about getting your research yeah, well, it's just the the statistics that was given to the ministry. Uh, and so we have a person that uh, did all the analysis for us. Um, so in those analysis, we're able to find that uh, four out of five kids were being abused. Uh, so again, um, these are the figures just from 2017 to 2019. Uh, and that's pre-COVID. So we know that during COVID there was a lot more that was happening because everybody was in a closed uh, setting. Um, so there, there probably needs to be another study done that just to show what that impact was. Because eh? everything that we talk about now is anecdotal evidence. But that goes to say also that um, what we were reporting on are the reported cases. You know, So there's a lot of... Um, other sources that we know was happening, the abuse that was happening, but just didn't get to be part of those statistics that we analysed. So I would say it's much more than what we had found. Um, but the data that we collected was from the ministry, from the office of the DPP, the police, uh, and also the Ministry of Education. So that um, was also an issue because they defined the different forms of abuse differently. Um, And so just coming up with one definition of what is, you know, even corporal punishment. eh? So the different beatings that we're talking about, what are we referring to? When is it abuse? When is it not abuse? And if it's reported or not reported, that's another thing. So that's the data that we were given. Uh, like I said, it, it, it probably is much more than what we had reported, yeah. So that's even more depressing. Um, so, yes, just to hear that four out of five, and I was at a meeting a few months ago with the Minister for Women where she mentioned four out of five children were abused, and I went home and thought, oh, she's got that wrong. <laughs> so I messaged her, no, no, that's true. So that's a horrific statistic. But then I think the other statistic that um, really gets to me, 72% of perpetrators attend church. Is that So how on earth did you find that out? Yeah, so in the case study, uh, the case reports, they have to declare uh, what faith they belong to or do they belong to a faith, a denomination or something like that. And that was clearly identified in 72% of the cases that we saw that they were from uh, Christians, they were Christians. So, um, you know, when I saw that, being a preacher's kid, that that just really hit home because we go to church every Sunday and uh, you're taught these values as a young child of uh, what a Christian home is like. It's loving, it's, uh, you're supposed to care for each other so when we saw those stats, uh, we're like, wow, 
you know, what are we doing wrong? Is it is the message not being preached enough to the congregation that um, we need to look after each other? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm startled just as much as you are on uh, the figures that we saw. But we we know that it's not. There's a lot of layers to unpack. Uh, there are a lot of things that needs to be done. But it can just can't just be on the church itself. It has to be everybody coming together to resolve the issue. But the church is a huge institution that can do a lot of uh, change within what's happening. Yeah. Did you have a breakdown of uh, denominations in that? Um, I think. Thinking back, I'm trying to think, no, uh, yes, some, in some of the case notes, they had identified their denomination, um, but again, we could go back to look at the figures if that's what the church uh, is requiring. But the, the other thing that we were wanting the, the case notes to include is um, the age and the, uh, of the perpetrators, because that wasn't really clearly stated in the... In, in the case notes for some uh, some of the like the office of the DPP they had that but the other different departments didn't have those specific demographics so that it gives a true picture of what age groups we're dealing with here yeah and then the, sorry oh, I did I did see somewhere that a uh, big part of the age group was 16 to 40 11. To 11 to 40, yeah, that there were perpetrators. Huh? Um, so again, it's just the the where do we begin? Huh? You know, the I think um, internationally you start at the age of 10 to 14. So I think in Fiji we need to start much earlier. Um, but again, it's just the way we're socialized and the way that we think about this taboo topic. Uh, but keeping our young kids safe, we need to talk about it at a much younger age. So what type of abuse is an 11-year-old causing to another child? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it'll be corporal punishment, I mean, uh, you know, like uh, hitting another child. uh, Some are sexual abuse, um, some even impregnating another child, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think some of those, that data comes out every month in the DPP um, rape stats. And, yeah, again, I would put that down to pornography and wanting to act out what they see um, that way. Um, So where, you know, you've produced this awesome report. We all know there's a crisis. (laughs) Where to from here? Yeah, so uh, one of the recommendations that we had uh, was to have the Department of Children. And so I think the Honourable Minister uh, has set that in motion and it's going to be done. The other thing is just training um, the child protection officers that there are uh, officers that are specifically trained to look after children who are abused. So that's at government level. But within uh, the Vanua level and the church and home level, there's also work that needs to be done. So we can't just be training those people that are working to look at child abuse. We'll have to also do some work within the Vanua because we saw that uh, even that itself was uh, played a huge part in why the abuse was happening. So they were the key drivers, the opportunity and the security of uh, 
just because we know that oftentimes we don't report it. We sort of say that, um, look, if I'm going to do the abuse, uh, somebody's going to forgive me because of the the cultural obligation of the Bibusuti. Yeah, so... Um, Oftentimes, the perpetrator will think that's going to be done, so it's okay to do that, yeah. But um, at that level, there has to be some training done with, uh, within the Vanu itself. And then also uh, within the church, because of the, the number of Christians that are being, you know, uh, implicated in this. So it just means that uh, all three will have to be working together at the same time in order to really make that change. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I've been a youth worker in Australia for 25 years and we run a lot of camps for girls. And if I'm aware that a girl has been abused and I don't report it, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> Uh, so is are some of those laws ever able, you know, so if the family and the culture are just covering it up with forgiveness, um, are there laws like that looking like they might come in where you must report this or is it again just too hard? Yeah, well in uh, Fiji under the current law that if you are a teacher, a health worker, uh, the welfare officers, they are obligated by law, they're mandated by law to report it. Um, but I think within the Vanua, uh, there have been examples where they have a child protection person that's within the village. Uh, I think the Ministry of Itoke had done a project uh, called uh, Children Are Precious to God. Uh, and in that, they were trying to train people at village level to come up with a policy on child protection and also to have a person that's like a lookout for any kind of abuse that happens. But whether that person reports it or not, that's another story, yeah. Because again, uh, I think that has to come from the Vanua themselves. I think the approach that was, it's good, but it's a top-down approach rather than um, coming from the community themselves of how they see child safety could be implemented, yeah. Yeah, there just doesn't seem to be an urgency to, <laughs> to make it happen. And again, um, in Australia, you know, if I'm reporting that this kid has been abused, quite often child safety goes in and takes them out of that home and they go into the foster care system, which is highly dysfunctional in our nation as well. But, I mean, if we did that in Fiji, no one would be living with their real family, would they? <laughs> Well, the, uh, what we found in the research that uh, the whole process takes about two years. Yeah. So when the abuse happens to the time that the reporting and anything needs to be done, that whole process is about two years. And often in cases, it's the child that gets removed uh, rather than the perpetrator in the family. Yeah. Uh, and so while the child is waiting for that court case to happen, they are in another environment that's uh, often more detrimental to their well-being. So, um, yeah, like I said, there needs to be a lot of work done on just uh, finding out what's the best way. Um, I know some places in Norway or Iceland, or, yeah, Iceland, uh, they have a thing called the house where um, when a child is abused they go straight to the house and in that house um, there's a social worker that only talks to the child 
and uh, it's, there's like a mirror uh, curtain uh, that uh, separates them from the doctors, the lawyers, uh, the nurses, everybody that's associated uh, or wants to know what needs you know, uh, to resolve the case is on the other side of that mirror screen. And they ask the questions to the social worker. The social worker is the only person that's talking to the child. And they resolve the case right then and there, and the child is in that safe house. But um, in the case of Fiji and many other countries, um, the child has to be interviewed by the police, the nurse, the, you know, many, many workers. So the child has to repeat the story over and over again, which is re-traumatizing for the child. Yeah, so I like that example from uh, Iceland that, uh, uh, you know, it's just one point of entry where the... The child is being interviewed by just one person, the social worker, and everybody gets the opportunity to ask the questions so that you could resolve the case right away. Yeah. That would be a great way if we could work it out. Australia needs that too. Um, so the report again showed that step-parents are big perpetrators, um, particularly the stepmothers. Um, why do you think that is? Well, uh, yeah, that's the $64 million question. Eh? Uh, we're not sure why that's happening, but in most of the cases we saw where the, the female is the perpetrator, um, they were the step-parent. Uh, and the kinds of abuse that was happening was more emotional abuse and physical abuse. Um, and, and a lot of those cases are just heartbreaking just to read through the case notes and just to see the kinds of uh, torture that the child is put through because the step-parent, you know, it's not their child, from not their biological child, uh, but the, you know, it's the favoritism also, which, and the, and the children talk about that in the case report, that they can sense that uh, they are not the favorites because they're not the biological child, but they don't have anyone to talk to about it. Even their biological father or their biological mother, they can't really express it to them. Um, so, you know, it's often they are the, oh, just get on with it. Yeah, you'll be okay. Mm. Um, and from some of the adults that I've spoken to that were abused as children, they told adults, but no, they were never believed either. So there's an, another cultural issue that we don't um, listen to the voice of a child um, or give them a voice or create an atmosphere where they can and again this is the respect thing we're not going to talk about what Uncle Johnny's done because we respect him and he's my elder <laughs> so as you said there's layer upon layer um, yes so I guess you know my reflections are uh, and we were talking about this before we started the interview hurt people hurt people don't they and uh, you know I think the, these women or the perpetrators what's gone on in their life and we've probably had a few generations of this unhealthy cycle um, where we just keep hurting each other and maybe Fiji needs to heal um, and yeah bring out all our own pain and trauma so that we can heal and find a way forward in that way just as we finish today what would be some what would be some final words that you would give to parents on just how to protect children I think it's uh, really important for us parents to nurture the children. Eh? I think a lot of the, the things that I see just from um, being around in our community, 
It's just a lot of times we uh, we shout at our children or we say things abruptly or we just, the words don't, don't do it uh, is often the negative words that come to their, to mind. But um, I think we need to, the positive parenting comes in here where we need to uh, affirm our children. Uh, if they've done something wrong, yes, we address it, but we say, okay, moving forward, this is how we're going to do it. But just affirm, affirmation, uh, direction in what's right and what's wrong, and just being present in their life. And when you are present, to do it genuinely, yeah. You're not on your phone. <laughs> you're, you're conversating with them. You're asking them how things are going. Um, because a lot of the, the children also that we found just didn't have that person that they could talk to. Yeah. So it's often um, they would find, uh, talk to their friends who had wrong information about things. Yeah. So I think for us as a nation, uh, just beginning at the home, where we affirm the children, speak positively to them, nurture them, uh, stop the bickering, the negativity, um, and all that. You know, we call ourselves a Christian nation, so we need to practice it, you know, like nurture each other and love one another, uh, as the Bible says. <laughs> so simple. And I think, you know, for parents who are hurting themselves, the best thing they could do for their children is go and get some counselling or talk, share with someone about the issues that they've never shared about um, our, our bodies aren't created to hold trauma and so maybe they were abused by a, um, when they were a child so I want to encourage parents uh, you help when you help yourself you help your children um, as well and my challenge to the churches really is we've got to grapple with uh, we've got to stop preaching about some things that <laughs> don't have relevance and begin to really address, I mean this is I guess the cancer of society um, and when you've got cancer you don't concentrate on your broken fingernail you do whatever it takes and so my plea is to the Church of Fiji and Australia let's um, begin to really deal with these issues that are affecting and the perpetrators and the victims are sitting in front of us every Sunday. If people want to get a copy of the report is it online where do they find that? Uh, yes uh, so under the Honourable Minister's uh, page she's offered the link there uh, so it is available online uh, and I think, you know, share it widely because uh, it just, it offers uh, recommendations also, but we were also s uh, specific on the geographical locations of where the abuses were happening. So within the Vanua, uh, some of the things that they need to address are quite specific. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a challenge to not only to the church, but to the Vanua also to pick up a copy and see what's happening. And if there's opportunity for us to come and talk about the research within the Vanua or the church, we'd be more than happy to do that. Yeah. It takes a village to raise a child and we're all responsible <coughs> Excuse me, for the young people of Fiji. Well, thank you for your time today and uh, investing into the children of Fiji. Even though you live in Australia, you've still got a passion uh, for here and so thank you so much Dr Latia and uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing some good solutions come as a result of your research I see your suffering I see the pain beneath that bullet
Let the islands hear reason. Let 